May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So today is what's known in the church as Good Shepherd Sunday, and um, I've decided that I've preached on the Good Shepherd so many times that if you want to hear a sermon on the Good Shepherd by me, uh, you can find one of those on our YouTube channel, um, and we'll even link some in the comments below uh, later on today. Uh, so this morning, we're focusing on Acts chapter 4, which was the reading uh, that Nikki read for us by video link uh, earlier on. And Acts chapter 4, um, this won't surprise you, follows Acts chapter 3, which was what Roxanne was preaching on last week. So if you remember back to last week, there was a miracle um, and, uh, of a healing, and then Peter spent time explaining the miracle um, in his sermon, and Roxanne talked about that last week. So another thing to catch up on if you haven't seen it yet. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much, actually, about the miracle itself. I'm going to talk about what happened afterwards. And the title, Making Sense of Miracles, um, really, in this sense, is, is a bit of a, um, a misnomer. This isn't so much about making sense of miracles as it is making sense of Jesus, which is where it ties back to Good Shepherd Sunday once again. Uh, so here we are, if you take a look with me in Acts chapter 4 on page 1695, in my Bible anyway. Um, and the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John when they were speaking, and they were greatly disturbed. Why are they disturbed? They're disturbed because the apostles are teaching people, uh, claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. The, the sermon that, that happened began to make waves. Uh, this, is, this is the people coming to faith in Jesus Christ uh, because of the resurrection. And so, um, so what they do is they come to him, it's late in the day, um, and they decide that they haven't got the energy to deal with these two apostles right now, so what they do is they put them in jail. Or um, as Acts puts it, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many had already heard the message, it says, and had believed. So we have people who have heard the good news of Jesus. They've heard about the miracle healing, and, uh, and, and they're, they're coming to faith. If you want to tell somebody about your faith, you don't have to know everything. There's a, 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 a work in the church called apologetics, um, which uh, probably comes from a Greek word. I haven't looked it up. Um, but, uh, but it sounds like to apologize, doesn't it? Uh, we, we're asked in the Bible to give an account for the faith and the hope that we have. And, and that's really what apologetics is. It's giving an account for why we believe what we believe and kind of doing that um, through, through discourse and through dialogue. Um, and, uh, and, and so these men these apostles, they weren't great apologists. They just said what they saw. When we share our faith as Christians, what we're called to do on a basic level is to say what we know. If we see somebody healed, we can say we saw them healed. We don't have to understand everything about everything in order to share the good news of Jesus. At St. George's, we talk about living and sharing the good news of Jesus. That doesn't mean we have to know every inch of the Bible backwards. Sometimes 
In fact, quite often, as we see here, the best evangelists, the best people at sharing a real, honest faith in Jesus, are not the academics and the theologians. They're the people who have encountered Jesus, who have a story to tell. And every one of us has a story to tell, a story of how we encountered Jesus, how Jesus has made a change in our life or continues to uh, make changes in our life and to affect us um, as we go about our, our living. So back to the passage. They're in jail overnight, um, and, it, and it's almost like, um, you know, if, if um, being, being from the UK, um, there's a lot of people that will go and drink in pubs, and then when the pubs shut, they go out onto the streets and they start kind of causing a bit of mischief, um, shall we say, because they've had one too many jars of the Queen's favorite ale. And, uh, and so what happens is the police will come along and, you know, occasionally somebody just needs to be put in jail overnight to sober up. And so they'll take them away, they'll, they'll put them in there overnight. And, um, and, and the hope is that they'll stop causing a mischief and public disturbance by the time they wake up in the morning, probably with a very bad headache and reaching for the Tylenol. But anyway, uh, so, so that's kind of, I think, what's happening here is they decide we've got these people. We don't know what to do with them. Why don't we put them in the cell for the night and we'll see uh, what happens in the morning. We'll see if they realize that we're serious and they stop telling people about Jesus and causing this disruption. So the the next morning, verse 5, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, loads of holy people, there they are. Um, We get their names. They're there meeting in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander. Um, Essentially, there are a few powerful families, and these names here, uh, if, you, if you look into them, they actually reference a few powerful families who were, um, who were leading and organizing and had a lot of control over the worshiping community in the temple in Jerusalem. So here are these families, um, and their authority has been questioned by Jesus, and they thought they dealt with him on the cross. They thought he'd gone, and he's resurrected, and Peter and John are speaking about him. And so they say, what power or name do you do this? What do they mean? Well, the miracle that happened. What was the power that you did it by? What was the name you did it in? Some theologians wonder when it says, what name did you do this by? If that is um, us reading into the passage a bit too much as Christians um, in the way it's been translated um, and, uh, and it would be better left with what power do you do this by. Uh, but that's an aside for those of you who are interested. Um, so Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, because um, the Spirit's come at the beginning of Acts in chapter 2, and we're in Acts 4 here. Um, and so he says, filled with the Spirit, rulers and elders of the people, why are we being called to account for a man who's been healed? We haven't done anything wrong. We've seen something good happen. We've seen somebody who was known... Uh, to be, um, to be in, in lame for years. Um, he's been healed. They said it's by this name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, four words. I don't know when you describe people how you describe them. Uh, probably, if you know them well, you'll use their first name. You may use their first name and their surname. Uh, But sometimes when we want to describe someone, we'll use um, their name and where they're from or or some way of knowing them. In a sense, this is Jesus' full title they're using here. They're conveying there's a, a power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
That was the name. It wasn't just Jesus or Christ. We've got the whole shebang, the whole thing. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. They reference um, a psalm. I think it's Psalm 118. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Jesus is the stone you build us rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else. They are linking the healing of the man who was lame. They're linking that healing with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus with salvation. Salvation is found in no one else. So the, the healing they're talking about uh, is a physical one. The man was able to walk. But the, the bigger healing is salvation, is being saved, being saved for eternal life, spending eternity with God. That's uh, what they're talking about. So they push it further and further. And can you imagine the religious folks of the time? I mean, these are like the bishops and the archbishops and the archdeacons and the arch anything else. They're the, the, the highfalutin trained people of the temple. And they've got here these two men who are completely unschooled. I think I'm jumping to a bit later in the passage. Only the next verse. There you go. I'm on track. They saw the courage and realized they were unschooled ordinary men. Well, unschooled ordinary men 2,000 years ago would have meant just that. Very unschooled. It wasn't a case of they went to school for a bit and didn't graduate. Um, the schools at the time, they were, were not for many people. Uh, most people wouldn't have got to go to school. Um, and, and those that did, they might have learned some basic things. But the schooling they're talking about here is that schooling in, in how to speak in rhetoric. Um, you'll know, uh, if ever you've heard a sermon, that we like to say things in threes. Um, I, I always think um, Barack Obama was a great uh, preacher because if I listened to any of his speeches, uh, I, could, I could see the cadence of it. Always, it would always land like a sermon. This isn't meant to be a political statement. Just, uh, just the joy of watching um, that it isn't just in preaching where we say things in threes, um, but that that, that, is, that is in public speaking. And this is what would have happened. They would have known um, they would have been taught that kind of thing. So, and people would practice their, their rhetoric. They practice their skills of how to speak, how to make a point, and how to say things in threes. There you go, I just did it um, again. And so saying these were unschooled men, they, they knew there was something up. These, these weren't people who'd planned this. They'd got some power in them, and they were curious about it. But on the one hand, curious. On the other hand, kind of scared, because uh, Jesus had already come along and upset the apple cart. Um, he, he was in the temple and preaching, and now they're kind of in the temple area doing the same thing. And you can imagine there would have been a bit of, um, uh, well, uh, well, clearly they put them in jail. There was, there was a lot of resistance to this because it wasn't like they were out in the mall. They weren't, you know, outside superstore preaching about Jesus and miracles. They're in the temple. They're in the temple and they're talking about Jesus. Um, and this, this wouldn't have looked good for the Sanhedrin. Um, there were the, the, the religious, um, the lay folks, the elders, the parish council of the day was the Sanhedrin. And they're going, what are we going to do with these men? 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it, but we need to stop the thing spreading any further because it's going to take away from what we've done. And also, underneath there, is there some kind of a risk? Is there some kind of a risk that by, um, by this miracle having happened, by it pointing to Jesus, uh, that it might come to light that Jesus actually is who he said he is, and therefore the implication of the religious folks, the Sadducees and the Pharisees we hear about um, in the Easter uh, Good Friday narratives, would they be further implied and Im- implicated in the death of Jesus? So this whole thing is quite bad for them. And they have this public relations meeting with each other in verse 17 and say, we need to stop this thing spreading any further. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to tell them not to tell anybody else. We must warn them, it says, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. The name, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So they, they finish their public relations meeting. They go back and meet with, um, with Peter and John. They called them in, it says, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Strong word, commanded. What right do they have to command them not to speak? I guess they could command them not to speak in the temple because that was their jurisdiction. But Peter and John reply, what's right in God's eyes? Should we listen to you or to him, to Jesus? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So in the end, they let them go. They don't know what to do with them. They've tried threatening them. They couldn't decide how to punish them because the people, it says, were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There was no doubt about the miracle that had happened. The testimony uh, was great. Um, And many people, um, it said at the beginning of the passage, 5,000 had grown to believe. Now, we don't know for definite if those 5,000 had grown from um, the the, the sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 3. But you can imagine the thing rippling out um, in Jerusalem. There's questions about how many people lived in Jerusalem. Um, They're fairly sure, the theologians, that there were a lot more than 5,000. As a minimum, 25,000. Some people suggest up to a quarter of a million. And then there's questions about, well, is it just Jerusalem, the city itself, which is quite small with a wall around it, or is it the wider countryside too? So a few things there um, to think about. But the point is, there were loads of people. And whether they're all from the city of Jerusalem or whether they're from further afield, um, whether it says men and that actually means people, or whether the 5,000 men represent families, in which case we're talking many more people, we know that uh, very quickly um, the apostles are telling the good news and the good news is spreading. And they have power in the name of Jesus. So really, the Sanhedrin, the, the religious folks, they didn't really make sense of the miracle. They couldn't deny that it had happened. They couldn't deny that it, could happen, that it had happened. And kind of, they just wish it hadn't. They wished it hadn't. 
So what about for us as Christians when we tell people about Jesus? Well, that's one of the reasons I think it's so important to pray for people. It's so important to offer prayer and to pray for people. Because what we see here is it's the the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in healing that Roxanne talked about last week. That's what we see. This has all come off the back of that. Uh, So um, it's not uh, the apologetics. It's not us trying to give an account for our faith in terms of the head knowledge. Uh, This is about um, something they can't deny happened. Jesus healed somebody. And it's put them in a spin. We'll find out uh, what happens um, later on in Acts chapter 4 and as we carry on looking at the book of Acts um, in the next few weeks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these amazing stories of miracles. And thank you for the faith of uh, those first apostles. Unschooled as they were, uneducated, and yet empowered by the Holy Spirit, to preach and to teach and to give an account for their faith. So help us, Lord, too, this week to be people who can give an account for our faith, who can share the good news in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.